Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So once a year I go on a retreat with some pastors, friends of mine, and we spend time together talking and laughing and sharing and encouraging one another and, and helping one another become better pastors. And one of the thing, one of my favorite things that we do is we share stories. And one particular pastor told a story about New Year's resolutions. And he said it was the last week of December in 2019, and some of the elders of the church got together. And the pastor said, men, I've been given these great theological works, things that I have wanted for many years. My wife got them for me as a surprise. My New Year's resolution is that I am going to read every single one of these books. Big, thick books. One of his elders looked at him and he said, oh goodness, my wife has been on me for years regarding these projects around the home. My New Year's resolution is that I'm going to knock out that list. I'm going to take care of every single thing that she has asked me to do. And the third gentleman, an elder in the church, said, I am going to run a marathon in 20. I am going to do it. He said, I'm going to pound the pavement every day. I've already got the training pre-planned. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run a marathon, and then they all went their separate ways. And of course, we know what happened in 2020. COVID and the quarantine. And at some point towards the end of 20, they got together and the pastor said, hey guys, how did we do on our New Year's resolutions? And so the one who said he was going to run a marathon said, guys, I have a great excuse. I got COVID. And my lungs were weak, and I was sick, and I couldn't do it. And besides that, they canceled all the marathons. So I couldn't have run it even if I had wanted to. So I feel good about the fact that I did not carry out my New Year's resolution. And so the pastor looked to the other elder, and he said, how did you do? And he said, well, pastor, I mean, you know, it was a run on Lowe's and Home Depot when the quarantine hit. I couldn't get all the supplies that I needed in order to carry out my New Year's resolution. pastor shook his head. And then they turned and they said, how did you do? He said, well, I I read every last page. And they looked at him in astonishment, a little bit of shame because they were not able to carry out their New Year's resolution. Then he started laughing and he said, no, I actually read the last page of each one of those books so I could say to you, I read every last page. He said, I don't know what my excuse is. I just was not able to read the books. I was not able to live up to my New Year's resolution. And I think that's something, that story is something we can all resonate with because more often than not, we don't live up to our resolutions that we make. The good news for us this morning is that we have a Savior, we have a Redeemer who has made a resolution and He kept it. And He kept it for me and He kept it for you. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in the Gospel of Mark. Let us pray. 
Lord God, may your word open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, so that we may know you in a clear fashion. Father, enlarge our trust. Give us greater faith. Help us to have more joy and peace and love as a result of Your Word entering into our heart and changing us through the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus to us. Father, may Your Word go forth this morning and not the words of man. It's in Your Son's name that we pray. Amen. So we are working our way through the Gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We return to chapter 11, but if you will remember from a few weeks before Christmas, Jesus had turned and He was making His way to Jerusalem. He was a man on a mission. And we know that it is a pivotal point in the Gospel of Mark. He has written it in such a way to lead us to this turning point and help us understand the necessity and importance of Jesus ascending the hill to Jerusalem. Now remember, that is how the Old Testament ends. The Old Testament ends asking the question, who will take Jerusalem and save God's people? And so in the way in which Mark has written his Gospel, he is telling us, this is the man, this is the Savior, this is Jesus. And when we look at our text and we look at the passage, we see a Redeemer who has made a resolution. He is going to Jerusalem. He is going to ascend the hill. He is going to go to Calvary. He's going to climb up on the cross. Why? And the answer is because He is desirous of obeying the will of God and bringing Him glory. Jesus is the humble servant. He lives to serve us, to save us. He lives to serve the Father, to obey Him, to do His will. Hear what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, it's Philippians chapter 2, 5-8. through 8, Beginning with 5. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by coming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Herman Bavink is a well-known Dutch theologian that lived in the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And referencing this passage, he says that it wasn't that moment that was sacrificial, that moment where he goes to the cross, that the entire life, Jesus' entire life was a self-offering. It was a self-offering to save God's people. The moment He left the throne room of heaven and came to earth, from that moment forward, He offered Himself up as a sacrifice. Let us never lose sight of that. He was all about obeying the will of God. 
Jesus wanted to serve the Father. He wanted to worship Him. He wanted to glorify Him. He wanted to love Him by by being obedient to Him. Jesus has come because Jesus knows and understands that the Father loves His people and that the Father has a plan expressed through covenants in order to save His people. And Jesus agrees to go and Jesus agrees to do so that these covenants can be fulfilled. He is all about the Father. He wants to bring Him glory. John 17, 4 excuse me, chapter 17, verses 4-5 through says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I came to earth. I took on flesh. I entered into this disorderly, messy, sinful, broken place. I served the people that belong to You with my very life. I drank the cup of wrath. I took their punishments. I did all of this so that You would receive all the glory. That's who our Savior is. That's who Jesus is. When we see Him on that donkey entering into Jerusalem, we read and think about Him and in our hearts we are in awe. What a Savior we have. What a Redeemer that we have in this King who sits upon this lowly animal. He is doing this for us. He's doing this in obedience to the Father. He's doing this to bring glory to our God. So as we stare down the calendar through the days of 22, we have the whole year in front of us. We ask ourselves as believers, what do we do? What do we do for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How do we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in 22? And Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, verses 1 through 11 gives us a great recipe that we serve and we love and we worship and we glorify God. There's nothing greater that we can do in 22. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. There's nothing greater that we can do in 22 than to worship the God who sent His Son on the donkey's back for us. To give the Father and the Son and the glory they rightly deserve and to obey Him. Jesus glorifies God and He obeys Him. And so in 22, we worship God and we obey Him. Through obedience, we bring Him glory. Something to consider as 22 unfolds for Trinity. Worship and obedience to a God who has loved and served us well. Second thing, 
I want you to see the peaceful procession. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. When you think about Jesus and you think about that He is the Son of God, that you think about that He is the Word that has come in flesh, and then you step back and you think about the disobedience of Jerusalem, you think about all the various ways in which they failed the covenant, you think about their disloyalty to God, you think about the Roman Empire that is in control at the, time, at the time and how they have a complete disregard for God's people. From a human perspective, you might think, I want Jesus to take Jerusalem with an army to conquer the Roman people and to establish His kingdom. I want Jesus to show His might and His power, and His authority, and His rule, and His greatness, and His strength. I want the people of earth to understand exactly who He is and why He has come. And Jesus does not do that. He enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. The back of a donkey... Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand the Old Testament. And if you are reading the Old Testament, if you decide to read through the Old Testament in 22, you're going to come to the very end. You're going to come to a prophet named Zechariah. And so if you're familiar with the story of Israel, they are in exile because of their covenant disobedience, their covenant disloyalness. And they've been sent into exile. In other words, they're away from the temple. They're away from the presence of God. Their, their promise of a Davidic kingdom with the Davidic son on the throne and God bringing blessing and peace seems to have been dashed because they are far away serving other kings and other rulers and other nations. But God has made a promise to them. I have not forgotten my covenant with you. I'll bring you back. In the latter part of the Old Testament, the Jewish people are allowed to return to Jerusalem and they are allowed to rebuild the temple. Here we go. Here we go. Proper temple worship, covenant obedience, living in the land of promise. The recipe is there for God to respond to His covenants and bring blessedness and bring about the kingdom and bring about the eternal Son of David, the kingdom of God in all its fullness. It's, it's lining up. But it doesn't happen. And so, Zechariah speaks to the nation of Israel and he gives them a word of hope. And it's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. Zechariah speaking on behalf of God is giving them a word of hope. He is telling them that at some point in history, your king will come. God will bring about His kingdom and restore His people before Him. Bring them into perfect peace. 
And so as we look at Mark chapter 11 and we see Jesus riding on the back of a donkey, He is telling His apostles, He is telling His disciples, recognize and understand who I am. I am the long-awaited Davidic Son. I am coming to establish My kingdom. It's interesting. I always read this passage as a child in this fashion. All of Jerusalem comes out to greet Him. He is seated on the donkey, which means He's coming in peace. And they get it. And they love Him. And they are worshiping Him. They're crying out, Hosanna. The disciples get it. They're by His side. This is a royal parade. Isn't this incredible? Isn't this awesome? We would take the palm branches and we would wave them and we would rehearse the scene as children. And as I got older, I realized how depressing it actually is. Yes, Jesus is the Davidic King who is on the symbol of peace, the donkey, and He is coming in fulfillment of the prophecy. He is coming to deliver His people. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Think about this. Those people who are praising Him, who are laying their palms down on the ground, in a matter of hours, what will they say? crucify Him. They will turn on Him like that. Most of them. But there's something more. The disciples who are surrounding Him, who are walking with Him to Jerusalem in a matter of hours will not only scatter, but deny Him. I don't know. I don't know who you are. No. No, no, no. Not in His company. Not one of His. And so Jesus is sitting on this donkey. He's entering into Jerusalem and He knows this. This is not a grand royal procession. This is not a grand royal parade by any stretch of the imagination. Here is a lowly servant riding on a donkey, knowing what is in front of him, including the cross, serving us. Realizing these people will turn their backs on him. Realizing the disciples will give up. Realizing that they will deny him. Why does Jesus do this? Why does He undertake this procession? And here it is. Because we, more times than we can count, have turned our backs on Him. We have turned our backs on Him over and over and over again. We have scattered from Jesus time and time again. We have also rejected Him just like Peter. We have denied Him. We have done all of these things. In essence, we are in the crowd that very day. And Jesus rides that donkey to the cross. He is the donkey king. He does this so that when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness, when it is 
time for us to enter into the throne room of heaven, we can enter peacefully. That we can stride into the throne room of grace and stand before God the Father and not be afraid and not feel shameful and not feel guilty because Jesus, our older brother, has gone before us. He's made the procession. Number three, a coming kingdom. Look at verse 11. It's often a verse that's not considered or not looked at in depth. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And he looks at it. And to me, that's fascinating. This is the second temple. The first had been destroyed. This is where God's foot was to rest on earth. And here is God who has come in flesh. There's great fulfillment in this. In Jesus, the Word that has come in the flesh, going into Jerusalem and standing near the temple and looking around. Now think about this. As he's looking around, Israel is not what it's supposed to be. Where is the great Davidic king? Where is the proper temple worship? How come this temple is not as glorious as the first temple? And there's the Roman Empire ruling over Jerusalem. And as we think about this passage and we fast forward to 2022, we come to the realization that that temple is gone. And guess what? The Roman Empire is gone. Caesar Augustus is no more. In fact, the Holy Roman Empire is no more. The nations that took Israel into Exile. They no longer exist. Those kings no longer rule from those thrones. But guess what? Jesus still rules over His kingdom. That in 2022, we can know that our King lives and our King rules and His kingdom is here in part and that one day it will be here in all its fullness, and one day everything will be made right. So our hope in 22, the thing that we hold on to, the thing that we look to amidst all of the problems, all of the sickness, all of the difficulties and the issues that frankly, as fallen sinful humans, is difficult to understand. The one thing that we can hold on to, the one thing that we can look to, is that Jesus is on His throne and He rules over His kingdom and in one day it will come. And when it does, everything will be made right, everything will be renewed, everything will be turned upside down. And so we hold on. We hang on. 
We continue to live for Him. We continue to worship Him. We continue to have hope because there is a plan and there is a King and He is sovereign and He is holy and He rules. We rejoice that He rode that donkey. And we worship Him because He made a resolution to obey the Father in order to save us, the humble servant. This is good news as we head into the new year. Let us praise our God. Take that to heart. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are so good to us. And that you have not left us. You have not abandoned us. We are not in the dark. But that you are on your throne and that you rule and that you are holy and mighty and sovereign and that your mercy is more than we can fully comprehend and understand. Father, help us to praise you throughout this coming year. Help us to obey you throughout this coming year. And may we find hope in the truth that is your kingdom that is here and one day will come in all its fullness. It's for your wonderful sake that we pray. Amen.